ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right, this weekend on Sunday the 20th is Father's Day, so I thought I would discuss some of the finer points of being a father. Uh, This is actually my 18th Father's Day, being an actual father, that is, and I am not going to be traveling home to visit family over the weekend, but I will see my father next week, so we'll celebrate then. But I just wanted to go over some of the things that I've noticed in my 18 years of being a dad. My daughter was born in November of uh, 2002. Uh, She was born on November the 1st. I wanted her to be born on Halloween so bad. Just because, think of the parties that she could throw as a little kid and later on when she's drinking age. And plus the whole country would celebrate her birthday and be throwing parties and everybody would be out in a costume and having a good time. I really thought that would have been cool if she'd been born on Halloween, but she missed it by about 23 hours. Um, I was rooting for Halloween. My aunt's birthday is November the 2nd, so we had people rooting for November the 2nd, and she missed November the 2nd by about 15 minutes. But, But I've got a little bit of experience being a dad, so here are a few of the things that I have made note of through my 18 years of fatherhood. The first thing I want to talk about is the way that dads are portrayed in popular culture. I don't feel like I've made it a big secret about how I feel about the woke culture movement in this country, but the woke culture movement has got a bit of a problem, and that is their whole point of their group is inclusiveness. The reason this is a problem is because movements need an enemy. They need a target. They need something to fight against. And it obviously, it can't be women. It can't be the homosexual community. It can't be the transgendered community. It can't be anybody that's a little bit out of the mainstream. So in order for them to have their antagonists, they have had to go after straight males, which really make up a big portion of the population, so you're kind of going after a very large group when you choose that. But if we had somebody that was just raised in absolute isolation, um, they had lived in a little room, they'd never seen TV, never been on the internet, never talked to another human being, and we took them out of that room and just showed them commercials, imagine what they would think about married men. First of all, if you watch a commercial, the dad is always incompetent, He cannot get dinner. He cannot take care of the kids. He cannot clean the house. uh, He can't work on the car. He can't mow the yard. You don't even see men driving a car anymore. If If it's a man and a woman in a car, the woman is driving. So that person who has no idea what our culture is except for what we've shown him in current commercials, he's going to assume that married men are incredibly ignorant, can't drive a vehicle, don't know what tools are, Can't use the stove without throwing food all over the kitchen and burning themselves. Um, If he was left alone with his children for more than an hour, all the children would be dead through some horrible accident. And the women are always portrayed as competent, put-together, professional. On top of the situation, they're there to keep the idiot husband from burning the house down with the children inside, basically. And it just, it surprises me how much a movement based on inclusion has to do exclusion. But again, a movement has to have a target, so they have to go after somebody, obviously. In fact, I've noticed that the only time you see 
a man, a husband in a commercial that is being portrayed as not drooling on himself on the couch is when they're showing a same-sex couple, because obviously you can't portray a homosexual man as not being perfect at everything. That's not woke. But supposedly the point of this movement, and it's not the point of this movement, I'm not that stupid, but what they claim the point of the movement is, is equality. Well, if you're going for equality, have the wife be the idiot every once in a while. Let the husband drive the car 50% of the time. That's that's equality. Equality means you treat everybody the same. It does not mean this group is absolutely untouchable and they're on a pedestal, and this group over here, we don't care if you burn them in the streets, we hate them. That's not inclusion. That's not equality. I know that I have a very old-fashioned definition of that, but I would just love to see a commercial or even a sitcom now. And all the sitcoms, the dad's always the buffoon causing all the problems that the wife has to come in and clean up. Let's have a dad in a sitcom that doesn't set the couch on fire five minutes after the wife leaves for work. I mean, I know that that's a tall writing order for, for this new generation of people in Hollywood, but let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Okay, so now that I've ranted for five minutes about stereotyping people... There is a stereotype, and it just proves that, you know, sometimes things are stereotype stereotypes because they're true. And I have seen this a thousand times in movies and TV shows and commercials, and I always thought it was just one of those TV tropes that kind of entered the zeitgeist and never really left. But this one absolutely is true, and I 100% am guilty of doing this. I have to guard the thermostat. Nobody in this house understands how that damn thing works. If I don't keep an eye on the thermostat, somebody will walk past that thing and they'll say, hmm, I'm a little bit warm. I'm going to turn the AC down to 47 degrees. And then, of course, an hour later, wow, it's chilly in here. I need to turn the heat up to 97. And then an hour later, man, it is hot in here. I need to turn the AC down to 22 degrees below zero. I have tried to explain this to every person in this household. The heat and the air conditioning have two settings. They're on and they're off. If you turn the AC way, way down, it does not blow colder air. If you turn the heat way, way up, it does not blow hotter air. The thermostat turns the air conditioner or the heat on if the temperature deviates from what it is set to. I cannot convince anybody in the house that that is how that thing works. They think if it's a little bit warm in the house, you turn the AC a little bit down. And if it's really hot in the house, well, by God, you got to turn that thing down as low as it'll go. And I have tried. I have tried. God help me. I have tried to explain to people that that's not how the heating system and the AC system in a house works. You set the temperature on the thermostat to the temperature that you want it to be in the house. And the thermostat will magically take care of the rest. You don't have to encourage it or kick it in the butt or try to get it to do more than what it's supposed to do. Set it to the temperature. Leave it alone. I am just, I'm just in the habit at this point where I will stop and look at the thermostat almost every single time I walk past it just to see where it's at and make sure nobody's monkeyed with it. Again, I always believed that was just a joke that entered our collective consciousness, and now it absolutely is most of my life. 
And here's something that I was not prepared for as a father. Now, when you have children and when they're little, you expect them to ask questions all the time. Uh, when you've got a two-year-old or three-year-old up to probably about kindergarten, you, know, you just expect it. everything they do with that age that's new to them. Everything they do, everything they see, it's a new experience, and they're going to have tons and tons of questions. And I always really made an effort to try to give my children answers to the questions that they would ask that, that they could understand without talking down to them or you know, just brushing it off was not always easy because how do you explain to a three-year-old what a tree is doing? But I didn't want them to feel like they shouldn't ask questions. And, you know, if you just give them some weird off-the-cuff answer, just hoping that they'll stop asking and go away, they're not going to learn anything if you do that to them. So I, I always tried to make it clear to them that if they had something that they wanted to ask, they should just ask it. I kind of feel like now I should go back in time and tell myself, hey, you need to maybe downplay that just a little bit. Because like I say, my daughter graduated high school last Saturday. My son is going to be a junior in high school this year. My daughter will be attending college in the fall. They still just hammer me constantly with questions. And the difference is, is when they were four, I probably knew the answer to what they were asking. But now they're watching stuff on the internet, they're watching stuff on TV, they're talking to people in school, and they're throwing questions at me that I'm just, as they're asking, I'm thinking, how in the name of God do you think that I would have that information ready at hand? Just stuff like, you know, how many people in Guatemala live below the poverty level? Well, I don't know. I think that's a pretty poor country. I'd say most of them do. Yeah, but how many? And while they're asking these questions, and again, I'm thinking, do Am I an accountant working for the Guatemalan government? Why would I know that? At the same time they're asking these questions, I'm thinking that. I'm also thinking, you have a device that is just a magic box that it gives you access to the sum total of human knowledge. You're holding it in your hand while you're asking me this. Type this stuff into Google. It will give you the answer, or it'll point you in the direction where you can track that answer down. And I say that to them probably 10 times a week. You know, you've got your phone. Look it up on your phone. They don't want to do that. They want to ask me. Maybe they're just wanting to get a little attention, maybe spend some time with dad, which would be great. But can we just talk about stuff? If you want to talk, if you want some attention, I'm here for you. Let's talk about your day. Let's don't ask me extremely specific questions about parts of the world I've never been to because I'm not going to be able to give you a lot of help on that. But at the age that my kids are now, that's most of the parenting that I have left to do is just offering advice and trying to keep them on the right path or help them find their path, I should say. Uh, My daughter, it's a little bit easier than my son. My daughter is an extremely gifted artist. That's not proud papa speaking. She will do things on her computer or in art class. I mean, just stuff that she'll just draw with a ballpoint pen will just blow me away that she's able to do that. And that's good because, bless her heart, she's a hot mess at most everything else school-related. Uh, so she is definitely be, be taking art classes and graphic design classes in the fall. And you know that's what she enjoys. It's what she's good at. That's where her talent is. And of course, there's some nuances that are going to have to be worked out. You know, which sort of field is she wanting to go into? You have to get the right skill set and find a job. It's, you know, you don't step outside and declare yourself an artist and you have an income stream from that. 
little more difficult with my son. Um, of course, we still got a couple of years with him yet, but he sort of goes back and forth. He wants to do something with computers or robotics. And then the next week you talk to him and he's wanting to be an automotive mechanic. Now, most people would push away from the auto mechanic. I don't, I've never understood why people look down on auto mechanics. And again, I've worked in the automotive industry for a long time, so I have a little bit of a different perspective on auto mechanics. But the people that look down their noses, like that's what, you know, people that can't do anything else, that's what they do. Well, you know, you have a car. And I'm sure there are some people in this country that live in big cities that can get away with not having a car. They can use public transportation or they're close enough that they can ride a bike or walk. But for the vast majority of the people in this country, a vehicle is a necessity. You have to have a way to get to the places you need to go. Now, since you depend on your car and it's broken down and you have taken it to somebody that has the skills and the expertise to fix it, why are you looking down your nose at that guy? He's saving your bacon at this point, and you're going to think you're so far above him because he knows how to do things that you don't know how to do. And I understand that you know through human history, the, the common folk of whatever society you're looking at were the ones that did the labor and worked out in the sun and in the dirt, and the upper crust did not have to do that kind of thing. And that's a carryover from when we were more a class-based society. But people that just went to college and they come out and they get a white-collar job and they work in an office, there's a satisfaction that comes with working with your hands that you just don't get in an office setting. You know, at the end of the day, a carpenter, there is something physical that he built and completed. And, you know, if you build a house, you can stand back and look and you can think, you know, I built that house and that will probably, barring a tornado or a catastrophic fire, that house might still be there with people living in it 500 years from now. And I worked as a billing clerk for about 10 years before we moved to Pennsylvania. When I left for work at the end of the day, my desk looked exactly the same as it did when I walked in that morning. Now, it was different papers and invoices there waiting for my attention, but you could not tell that anything had changed from 8 a.m. that morning to 5 p.m. that afternoon. And it was like that every day for 10 years. And it's not that I didn't enjoy the job. I did like working there. But you never feel like you accomplished something. You're sort of the the boy with his finger in the dike, you know, you're you're just staying ahead of the of the tidal wave is really all you're doing in situations like that. So while a lot of people would probably push their sons away from going into being an auto mechanic, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, number one, ever since he was a little kid, he loves to take things apart and put them back together. Um, and if he does choose to go into computers or robotics, that would work into his interest as well because he's always monkeying with his computer. Uh, he built his own gaming computer a year ago. So he was 14 years old. He built his own computer. But when he was a little kid, I would have to make sure he didn't get my tools because if he got a hold of any of my tools, he'd start taking stuff apart in his room and not stuff that it was okay for him to be taken apart. Just whatever he could find a nut or a screw in, he'd start working with it. You know, beyond that, I told him, being an auto mechanic, you're not going to make the kind of money where you retire to a mansion on a golf course. But those guys make very good money. And more importantly than that, a good mechanic can go anywhere in this country and find a job because everybody has a car and everybody's car needs work at some point. A good mechanic can find a job anywhere he goes. 
And there is a lot to be said for that. Just even if you don't factor in anything else, that kind of job security is very rare. You've got jobs like nurse, auto mechanic, and I'm sure there are some others that just anywhere you go, there's their need. They always need nurses. They always need auto mechanics. It's a, it's a great line for him to go into based on the things he likes to do and job security. But like I say, you talk to him on a Tuesday and he wants to do one thing. You talk to him on Thursday, it's something else. Again, he's got a couple of years to figure it out. So it's not the end of the world right now. But any of those three would be excellent for him to go into because I really think he would enjoy doing any of them and he would make a comfortable living doing any of the three he chooses. My wife keeps asking me what I want to do for this Father's Day and and I tell her the same thing I tell her every single year. I, I just I want to not have to cook dinner that night. I want it let's go out for a good dinner. You don't have to buy me anything. I don't need a card. I just want to go out for a nice dinner and enjoy a meal that I did not have to spend two hours preparing. Um, I do most of the cooking in our house. Now we do, you know, we'll grab something out a night or two a week. Usually at least one night on the weekend, we'll go out for a nice dinner, but I cook dinner four nights a week, usually five. And I'm not throwing a frozen pizza into the oven. I'm cooking it. Like I say, it usually spends, I usually spend about two hours preparing dinner. Sometimes one of my favorite meals to fix, and I don't do it very often because number one, I just don't enjoy it unless it's cold, You know, is uh, chicken and dumplings. And you just don't want chicken and dumplings when it's 95 degrees outside. But it seems such a simple thing to fix. You know, I got to boil the chicken breast and then I take that little bit of broth from that and I'll add some chicken stock to it and you boil the dumplings in that and then I make the gravy out of what's left and, and boom, you're done. Last time I fixed that, when I got done and we were sitting down to eat, I got to thinking about it and I looked at the clock and I said, Christ, I've been cooking for four hours. I, I don't know how something that simple can take that long because it's not difficult to prepare and there's not a lot of steps, but man, does it take a long time. But the long and short of what I'm, short of what I'm trying to say is, is that the only thing I want for Father's Day is just to go out for a nice dinner. And it drives me insane when Valentine's Day rolls around because every other guy in this country can cook dinner for their wife or their girlfriend. And it's this grand romantic gesture. It's this wonderful thing, this special, look what I did for you, honey. Sit down, have it. It's a zero for me. I could spend hours making something that I rarely fix. It's just fantastic. And when we're done with the dinner and we're sitting there looking at each other, my wife would say, so what are we doing for Valentine's Day? We just did it. And in the interest of full disclosure, that's never happened because I always plan around it. But it would be nice to have that nice, simple, straightforward option of, well, I'll cook dinner this night. But, you know, Valentine's Day is February the 14th. Uh, by that time of the year, I have already cooked 35 to 40 dinners in that calendar year at that point. It sort of takes some of the specialness away from it when you do something that you do pretty much every day. You know, your wife and your girlfriend on Valentine's Day, they don't want you to spend a bunch of money. They don't want anything really elaborate. They want you to burn calories. And if you do something special and you go a little bit above and beyond what you normally do, that's all they care about. They don't care how much money it costs you. Or if you've got a wife that it, they do care how much you're spending, you need to think about maybe getting a divorce lawyer because that shit ain't going to work out. 
But at any rate, on Sunday, me and my family are going to go have a nice dinner out. And I'm going to enjoy being a father for the day. Not that I don't always enjoy it, but uh, apparently I've still got a little ways to go in the fatherhood thing. I do not yet really care what the yard looks like. As long as it's been mowed, that's pretty much all I care about. I'm not going to be out there seeding in the fall and putting down weed killer and all that other crazy crap. As long as it looks like it's been cut and it doesn't look like uh, it's a meth house that people just aren't taking care of. I was talking to somebody one time and it was at the end of the summer and it was very dry and we were talking about, you know, all the plants that were dying. You could see even the trees looked like they were about to start losing their leaves. It was so dry. And he asked me at one point, do you water your lawn or how much do you water your lawn? Is I say, I don't care if it dies. If the grass is brown, it's not growing. And if it's not growing, I'm not out there cutting it. And I'm getting closer to 50 than I am to 40 at this point, And I am not, I have not yet reached the point where I care what my yard looks like. Maybe that'll happen someday, but I'm not looking for it to happen anytime soon. Uh, I mow the grass because I have to. I don't want it to look bad, but I don't care enough about it to really get out there and you see those guys will spend all Saturday long out there doing something, trying to get rid of one little blade of crabgrass. If that blade of crabgrass is the same length as all the other grass, I'm happy. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show, and I thank you again for sitting with me. Get out there. I hope you have a good Father's Day, or if you're not a father yet, I hope you spend some time with your father. Uh, but enjoy the rest of your weekend. If you're enjoying the show, please leave me a like and a comment at the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. Or as always, you can send me an email at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I will talk to you on Monday. Thank you very much.